0: hi everyone so excited to be here today this is a very special and important episode with we have a few guests here with us today and um we're just gonna jump right into it and introduce our guests one by one and misha we're gonna start with you hello hi
1: hi i'm super happy to be here my name is misha my pronouns are she her um and i was um, a student at uh, S Factor for about five years. Um, For six months of that, I was actually a front desk worker, front desk ambassador. And um, I went through teacher training kind of like halfway through that. And then was ended up being like teaching for six months at the tail end of my total time there.
0: Gotcha. Thank you. Next we have Alyssa. Hi.
2: Hi, thank you so much for putting this together. I'm Alyssa Aparicio, and my pronouns are she, her, and I was involved in the class. I I was a student in the class that was filmed for the documentary that came out on Netflix. Um, And yeah, I was in that class for about four months. I was also a stripper at the time. I'm still a stripper on and off. And um, yeah, that's kind of where I come into the conversation.
0: Lovely. Thank you. Thank you for being here. And Jess? Hi, I'm Jess. I was
3: a student at S-Factor for about six months when I decided to enter teacher training. And once I finished that, which probably took me about another six months when I did it, you could spread it out. Um, I was a teacher there for 13 years from about 2007 to when everything imploded last year in June of 2020. Um, I was in two different stretches. I was one of the teacher trainers there. And I was not a part of the filming of the Netflix class for Strip Down, Rise Up, but I was coincidentally teaching in the second studio space across the lobby. So I was actually present for a lot of the Mm. external goings on around the film.
0: Gotcha. So all three of you have incredible insight on like, almost like the rise and fall of everything that's been happening. And so We have so many talking points today, and thank you so much for sharing with me your experiences um, so that we can share with this audience. Um, And I just want to kind of get right into it. Um, You know, the first thing on the list that I made for us is the culture of S-Factor, which is um, sort of like the birth of all of these issues, right? Because once you create the culture, then everything's sort of like, falls under that culture and then continues to perpetuate itself so we really wanted to examine um, the culture at s factor which then was created by Sheila kelly which then led into the movie strip down rise up so um some you know misha we're going to start with you um and you know we have racism issues here uh you know a non-apology to um important figures in this story and so I'm just gonna kind of let you take it away and um and and speak on those things
1: yeah oh man where do we even begin with that I would say like grounding kind of like my experiences and my desire to speak out about this um, is the idea that you didn't have to be proximal to Sheila Kelly to be hurt by the culture. You didn't have to be there a long time either to be hurt by the intensity of the toxicity of the culture. I was only, I was there for five years on and off. I was there as as an ambassador for six months. I was, I only taught for six months, like right at the end until everything imploded (laughs) as Jess said. Mm -hmm. Um, And, In those experiences, like, as people started coming forward, I was realizing, like, oh, the things that I've been noticing um, in the short time that I've been there compared to, like, many people like Jess, who just had, like, over a decade's worth of experience there. um, There are things that had already been brought up, um, things about, like, things of um, uh, anti Blackness, classism. really crossing people's boundaries, even when it came to like their own bodies, which was also just disturbing to think of in a place that's touting themselves as like a safe place to like reclaim your femininity, you know, reconnect with your body, things like that. Um, And so uh, one of the, I think a way in which that stuff it was. I feel like it was there very intensely, a way in which it became public was um, uh, when a teacher, um, and Jess, please feel free to hop in and add in any caveats, because I feel like even I get kind of hazy just like reminiscing on this and like from a, a very like body activated place. Um, I remember this happening and I remember like not knowing a whole lot about it. This was kind of, it happened during a time where I was kind of like in like an off period in my on and offness as a student. Um, I remember Rhonda Harrelson who um, also was a longtime teacher there, a black woman um, posted something on her personal account, you know, and nothing to do with S factor. I think it was criticizing like, you know, some like an article about how it was criticizing Coachella for appropriation of um, indigenous like tribal like indigenous garb, indigenous um uh like yeah indigenous right. garb. but like was it like
3: to wear headdresses at
1: Coachella exactly <laughs> you know and that was something she posted on her own personal account there were a lot of people who then like um a lot of longtime S factor like participants participants who were paying the tens of thousands of dollars to go to retreats who came in and um, personally attacked her. Um, and it wasn't just like, oh, I disagree with this. There was name-calling, um, there was, uh, they were you're trying shit. to, sorry, yeah, you're, yeah, go you're, ahead.
3: You're a shit teacher. You are always a shit teacher. You're jealous because you can't afford a backstage pass like we could. Um, and keep in mind, Rhonda didn't tag anybody in this. She didn't at anybody in this, so somebody so, who was friends with these people presumably saw it, and then they came to attack her. Um, and the thing that was most disappointing about it to me was I brought this up in the uh, town hall call we had in June of 2020, and Sheila acted like she'd barely heard of these particularly two people. One was a former teacher from the Orange County studio. One was what they call a house girl, which is somebody that like used to take classes like way back in the day before there was a studio. And I heard a rumor, unsubstantiated, but I heard a rumor that Sheila was actually at Coachella that year with those two fucking people. So tell me you don't know them. And when Sheila was called to defend Rhonda, uh, her employee at the time, not for much longer (laughs) at that point, um, she basically did an I don't know her.
1: Yeah. And and even... There were even there were people who were specifically trying to call in what they can only understand and perceive as like, you know, her boss. <laughs> they were like, I'm going to I'm going to essentially tell on you to your boss about this. People were, you know, and so that's, I think, another really disturbing thing um, that, you know, there were people who take class. They were, you know, they no, it wasn't being addressed um, because, you know, they are people who spend a lot of money there. Um, all over like a social media post that had nothing to do with S factor, nothing to do with them. Um, And I feel like the reason we bring this up, I feel like at at least in the time that I was there, I, I don't have a lot of previous knowledge about like just incidences be before like the five years that I was there, but this, you know, Rhonda left shortly after that. And I think, you know, I, we mentioned the story because Rhonda has been someone who has been there consistently calling people in <laughs> about this. Um, and I don't necessarily, like, I don't, that's as far as kind of like, I'm willing to talk. I don't necessarily want to speak for Rhonda, but sure. I know that um, it's because of her that I even had visibility as early as I did about, um, Stuff that was going on, stuff that was outside of retreats, which at you know to this day I, I had never been to or had been invited to, um, as like a, a teacher and a student there, um, an, an ambassador there. Um, so, yeah, I think it just Rhonda deserves like so much, like so much credit for bringing a visibility to this in the first place, and then later down, kind of like in the line of events, hosting a community call to you know. I want to say like years later, <laughs> like a few years later, hosting a community call after, you know, having been after having quit um, from this to address those things.
0: Right. So she wasn't even there anymore. And she's like, I care about these people who are being harmed because I understand the culture. And so I want to have this call to bring this to your attention, basically, is what Rhonda did. Right. Am I getting it she- right?
3: Yeah. And I want to be really careful to not tell anybody else's story, but this is all extremely public. This all played out on Facebook um, on the S-Factor pages, which are now archived. But um, if you know anything about the internet, that doesn't mean they're not available. Um, So in, uh, I think, spring of 2020, when George Floyd was very publicly murdered and every company started coming out of the woodwork, posting black squares and saying, we stand with black lives. Um, S Factor did a similar corporate speak post. And Rhonda commented, she was one of the first people apparently that commented um, basically, and I'm paraphrasing, saying, um, what does this statement actually mean if you're not gonna address the racism in your company from Sheila on down? Things I brought up three years ago that you still done nothing to address. We don't need you to be white saviors. We need you to show up. And um, S-Factor's statement of standing here in solidarity with the Black community, one of their first acts of solidarity in, with the Black community was to delete her comment and block her account. And because that's how the internet works, um, it didn't disappear. And so Rhonda took that comment to her page and reposted, mm-hmm. and it completely blew up from there. And that is what prompted the all-hands-on-deck call of early June last year.
0: June, 2020. Yeah.
3: Yeah. It was within the first week of June. I think it was June 6th.
0: Yeah. So there's just been an ongoing issue of racism from the very beginning and it's not being properly addressed in today. Well,
3: apparently, you know, they created this, I'm forgetting now what they called it, but it was essentially a diversity and inclusion committee Mm. in the company. It was originally for People, there was one Black woman. I know of two of the women were LGBT community members. Um, I'm just blanking on who the fourth was. It was probably about five or six years ago, I think, that this all started to come to a head. And they mm-hmm. did this as people were really hoping, you know, they would get out in front of issues that were coming up more and more, especially on social media. And instead, what that committee ended up doing, what one of the members very publicly stated in her letter of resignation was after they went through the manual, the training manual to correct problematic language that was in there, um, rather than ha- seeing anything in advance that the company was putting out, they were basically used as a cleanup crew.
2: Mm. So
3: the company would put something out that hadn't been vetted, shit would rain down on them, and then these four women would be called in to essentially clean up the mess. And so when Rhonda's post was taken down, they didn't um, they didn't run it by this committee apparently they didn't even ask anybody on that call in june 2020 um at the time the gm of the company admitted that she just freaked out and took it down Mm -hmm. so there was no vetting it was just like eek someone is criticizing the brand and sheila directed directly get it down
0: right yay accountability that because there's a level of protection of the image basically
3: in my 13 years at the company, I never once heard Sheila Kelly admit to personally being the the, the, the reason something was done wrong or the reason mm. something went wrong or that she did anything wrong. Gotcha. That is my personal experience.
0: Gotcha. Thank you for all of that. And, and I'm sure we're going to come back to this topic because how can we not with all of the things that we have to talk about, but continuing on the topic of culture and how it's been developed at S-Factor, um, something that's come to my attention is that when um, when you're going to a class for the first time or the class culture is to talk about um, the story of Sheila and how she basically needed to play a stripper in a movie. God, my mind is racing. I have so many things I want to say about that. So I'm going to stay on topic here. how she We, know, played a stripper in a movie and then fell in love with the movement. And, um, you know, I have on record something that she said to the effect of, I wanted to bring this light out of, or this movement out of the darkness and into the light. Um, and yeah, and um and so, you know, I, I'd like to discuss and Misha, I'm gonna start with you because you uh have a specific point of strippers crawling on the floor to pick up their money and how, you know, what that what that type of culture has created. And then Alyssa, we're gonna come to you after that so you can really um fill us in further on what the stripper culture conversations have been like.
1: Yeah, so even even as early back as when I was there. Um mm-hmm. In my first intro, like that I took ever as a student, someone who had never been to the studio before, they did have this origin story of like Sheila was, you know, enamored with this movement. And she was like, oh, wow, like this is so great. And then she would describe like, oh, yeah, like the the curve and the fluidity of a woman's body. And I was so enamored. And then at the end, when the strippers would like crawl on the ground and pick up their money, like she she touted it as this thing that was so sad. You know, like, oh, it's so demeaning, like, oh, it somehow invalidates like, you know, any elegance, majesty, fun, like like it was somehow like so demeaning to then have Mm -hmm. to like bookend this beautiful movement by like crawling around and picking up your money on the floor. And so this was part of every intro because as a student, I went back to intros as a front desk ambassador. I sat in on like dozens of intros and as a teacher, this was like part of the origin story that you were taught to teach in your intros I mean obviously because it was getting heard everywhere this is this is like a main component <laughs> of what was getting taught in every intro class um, at the studio um, and so th- I feel like that that putting them on the opposite end of the spectrum of like stripping and pole dance like stripping and pole dance like there's always been that um, that condescension um, and uh, like per- like perpetrating of that stigma, like from the get go, from the origin story. In you know, and so it's that's definitely something that really stuck out from my memories there to like now what they're trying to like backtrack and say like I feel like it was very much you know like not like not a stripper from the get-go um and Jess I don't know if you have more to say to that because I you know like I was saying like I I feel like being here as someone who was like involved recently (laughs) what I want to do most is is like all of the stuff that teachers who have been there for a long time, I experienced it as recently as this, you know, like it's still happening. The pattern is still there.
3: Yeah. That was definitely part of the origin story that I heard way back in 2006. Um, Personally, that was not a detail I included in my retelling of the, the origin story because I always tended to lean more into um, my comfort zone is to make jokes. So I always tried to lean into what was so funny about it, this nice Irish Catholic girl, ha, 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 um, which is definitely something that came from the story I was told from Sheila, but that the, the difference between S-factor and stripping was canon as far as what was taught. Um, you know, I even, makes me a little grossed out now, but when I was first teaching, I remember saying to my mom, my parents were very conservative, oh, we're respectable. We've been on Oprah like as a way of separating, right? There was this, it wasn't even a dotted line. There was this bright fluorescent line. Um, I know of people who way back in the day, if they got caught dancing, um, would just get fired. Um, Yeah, there, there there was always a bright line, yeah. You could get fired for teaching somewhere else, which I'm pretty sure is a labor law violation. Um, and you could absolutely get fired for stripping um, or for performing in any capacity if you didn't run it through the studio. Um, I remember that happening as well. So like, I'm an actress. I perf- I got cast in like five or six TV shows as a stripper um, when I was working at S-Factor. Um, you know, I used to joke to my dad. I'm like, it's network. They can't make me take my clothes off. Um, but... Um yeah, you, that was they would absolutely there was just a absolute bright line. So there was wow. so much horror phobia stripper phobia. Yeah. That that's not what we are.
2: Right. Even though that's
3: the origin story that Sheila thought was so beautiful.
2: Right. I'm gonna so shut
3: up so- now because I feel like melissa <laughs> <laughs> <Alyssa> has a has
2: <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> we really good.
0: I'm excited to hear from Melissa on this because you, you know, you are a stripper
2: and yeah. Um <laughs> so uh, to start with the the origin story, I just like, it's so interesting, <laughs> blatantly obvious to me now how Columbus discovered America. It is, you know, it's like, oh, I took it upon myself to cleanse this art that's been around for ages, um, you know, predominantly um, with BIPOC individuals, particularly women and, um, well, not only women, but many genders, but particularly women, right, By BIPOC women, and, um, yeah, I just, coming into the space as a stripper, I don't even know why or how they let me in, really, now that I think about it, because my application, I was very clear, like, I do this work professionally, and I'm curious about this space, and what, you know, as a, somebody who's interested in empowerment... And sexuality and sexual freedom, it was it just seemed like an interesting overlap that I wanted to explore. But I just remember feeling this really just icky feeling like I couldn't put my finger on it at the time, but I just didn't feel welcome. I didn't feel I felt like the space had been vanilified and that me coming into it somehow, <laughs> I felt like I was not um, in alignment and then it was it was subtle at the beginning, but I think the biggest red flag moment, because for me, it's like basically a sin to tell me to put more clothes on. But I came in an outfit that I wore um, that had just come from Vegas working and I came like literally straight to the class and I pulled something out of my bag that I would wear in the club and it was sheer. And, um, I, you know, I remember her, I remember them saying no sheer materials, but I was like, oh, really fuck that. (laughs) So I wore it to class, you know, and, um, was pulled aside after and said, you know, reminder, no, no sheer material. And I'm just like, to me, that was the biggest, like the most immediate moment that might've been like the second or third class where I was just like, oh, okay. So I'm not welcome as this. Like the stripper side of me isn't welcome. My body isn't actually welcome. And you can see it in like the way that the attire, I mean, Sheila is always in a tank top and, and leggings, you know, and it's a very clear statement. Like even when she showed up on, uh, when she shows up in the public, when she shows up in class, it's always like this uniform. And I feel like it's a way of her saying, I am just like you. I'm like a respectable woman who always keeps my clothes on, you know? And it's, I could feel that tension, even though it wasn't necessarily addressed. And that was part of the thing. Like stripping was never necessarily addressed other than the aesthetic. So like there was a whole big deal made out of like, oh, let's go get stripper heels. Like let's go to Hollywood. And they planned out this whole big trip where they went to Hollywood. And if you see the movie, it's one of the most appalling scenes in the movie where all of the the women from the class go to buy shoes and they and they make like a good big deal and it's the only time in the movie where there's like hip hop playing and it's such a offensive moment because you're just like oh my god the giant <laughs> raging elephant in the room is that like this is all about whitewashing the experience and it's like trying on and getting to play a role that you actually want to make sure is defined as separate and so I didn't really necessarily have the words I didn't know anybody in the company I didn't really have a confidant in the space like I do now after you know speaking out about my experience when the film came out I connected with Misha and Jess and many other people who also just confirmed and affirmed all of these feelings that I was having that was basically like I was gaslighting myself thinking okay maybe you know Maybe I'm just imagining things. I don't know. I was having all of this, you know, internal, um, internal confusion. But it's it's also <laughs> extremely clear now. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. I went off there. So if, if there's a no, specific question, or- no, it was
0: just it's just you know, uh, your thoughts on the culture and what your experience was as a stripper. And I think you know that it's whatever comes to you, you know? And, and the thing where you're like, Oh, i th- I think I gaslit myself. When I was watching that movie, I felt gaslit as fuck the entire time I was mm-hmm. watching that movie. Like,
3: and if no- you had a thought about you wondered why they accepted you into the class, if you were clear about it on your expectation, Um, it's because your credit card didn't decline <laughs> in my, in my, in my experience. <laughs> allegedly. That's that's my experience.
2: There was a moment in class um, when we were going around and sharing at the beginning and I had shared about a recent performance that I had done. And I remember Sheila just being like, wait a second. She had this look across her face like, wait, what? She was like, did you say performance? I was like, uh, yeah, I'm a performer. This is, this is like the first thing I told you about myself. You know, so it was strange that yeah it was strange It's like well yeah they didn't know who they had let into the room (laughs) and now and now i mean i won't shut up about it because it's like so appalling the what um you know what was going on there that hadn't been exposed or hadn't been addressed until it was very blatant in the film how toxic and (laughs) how toxic and awful really it all was
3: I don't have any insight into how they chose the people to focus on in the film in terms of like, there was obviously certain, there's more people in the class than you could do justice to in an hour and a half, two hour movie. Um, So I know they focused in on certain people, but um, I would be extraordinarily surprised to hear that Sheila didn't put her thumb on the scale and who they chose to focus on in relations to the people that had the most trauma to resolve. And the fact that that's not why you were there is probably in my best guess, why you only see you in the background in a couple of shots. Mm. That's not the story she was looking to tell. It's not the story she's looking to tell about her company. I was told as a baby teacher, um, because the question would come up, like, are any of your students really strippers? And I was told, oh, no, you know, we really like to go inside. And strippers are all about the external. They don't like to connect to their internal feelings.
0: Dude, that's infuriating as fuck, man.
3: Yeah. And it's
0: like, okay.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, it, that was just canon.
1: It's so gross. I feel like every time I gather with people to talk about something, I hear some new bullshit. Like every single time, even since leaving since last year, no matter who I talk to, some new bullshit always comes out. And it's, it's like, it's not surprising, but it's also just so, it's, it's so gross. And it's so There's validating the
3: article that was news to me and I was there for 13 fucking years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: So it's, yeah. yeah, it's, it's validating against all of the times that we like, I know I gaslit myself a lot in my time there. And so it, it, it is like, it's not, yeah, not surprising, but you know, like, Oh, wow. Like,
0: well, it's just, we're an entire group of people. With feelings and thoughts and ideas and self-care and, you know, and to just to to label an entire group of people like that is just it's very harmful, actually. It's very, very damaging um, because then it creates this culture and idea of we are less than and therefore who gives a fuck about them and what they're doing. You know, and that kind of leads me into, you know, there's a whole other isms that I saw in that movie or phobias, whore phobia, fat phobia, homophobia, transphobia, um, all of those things. And like, is that also was that also like the culture? Because that was in the movie. Right. I've never I've been to one class like in 2006 or something. So I don't have enough experience. But is that a culture that existed within the class setting and, and the organization or company as well? All those phobias?
3: I can say from, again, not telling anyone else's story, but one of the people who was of the LGBTQ community who was on that four-person like diversity committee, um, in her words, the language of S-Factor was so heteronormative as to basically be homophobic. Everything was presented as you were obviously doing this for your imaginary man. Um, Everything was put that way. There was one moment when they used to still have um, merch in the lobby where they sold this shirt for Mother's Day that had this whole thing on the back about like your daily to-do list. And it was all about like, you know, drop kids to school, go to S-Factor. And at the time I was like, what about the childless and the barren? Like, hello. Um, It was just all ultra, ultra heteronormative, and basically in the mold of Sheila, you know, she's a mom, she's heterosexual. So that must be what everyone wants in my opinion, allegedly.
1: Yeah. So I, the, the experience I have with this, the, the one I'm going to talk about is actually back when I was very first started at S factor um, was super excited about the movement. And um, my sibling who is non-binary like I knew at the time, like it was, it's interesting because like they'll, It was always like, oh, no men allowed in the studio unless like you're in unless you're like facilitating a private dance for like somebody, you know, and uh, at the time I was like people were allowed to like use the studios if they were empty. And I think at this point I actually had paid for time in the studio for just like, you know, like I was super excited to like share the movement with my sibling. And so we were just going to book some time to like play, (laughs) Um, and I had gotten approval from, uh, like my supervisor, uh, but, uh, when we showed up, the studio director immediately was like, oh no, this is not allowed. Like, and I mean, at this time, like, you know, I was, I was also like, you know, like, like poor early twenties. Like I like paid for like an Uber to get there. And then like, it was like, okay, well, I guess I'm Ubering back, you know, home. And like, it was You know, but it was it was definitely a very visceral, like, what the fuck are you doing type of energy Um, that this like, you know, this like and this is from a studio director who was not there. That's another thing. The studio director position was like a big ass revolving door. So so like just the lack of consistency in leadership in the studio was also like a point of like it felt very much like. If this is never stable, then we don't necessarily have to address all of the blatant like workplace bullshit that happens. Um, actually, when I first started working there, um, I got hired on full-time and I had like, they kept giving me part-time hours until I had to remind them like, Hey, did you remember that you hired me on full-time? And they're like, Oh, okay. And I worked for full-time for maybe like, I was only there six months. So maybe I worked for like a few months full-time before they switched everybody to part-time. And I had like quit my previous full-time job to, you know, like Monday through Friday, nine to five during the like, you know, to work at this place Nights, weekends, like, you know, whatever, because I was like that into it after my first intro. Um, and so, like, yeah, it was, it was interesting that they could allow that type of dissonance in treating their employees that way, um, which I feel like speaks to the, the, the veneer aspect of the culture.
0: Right. I also
2: want to share that. Yeah. I saw a lot of instances where people were being instructed on how to be women, where it was like, Oh, you're standing in the wrong way or you're wearing the wrong thing. And that I think is extremely um, that's just, no, like that's not empowering. (laughs) That's not empowerment. There is no model on how to be a woman right? Or anyone, how to be anyone. And so, yeah, I did. I noticed that a lot. And, you know, I felt that in the way that even the way I dressed was like being shamed, you know, and that it was what's right and what's wrong. And that's not liberation.
3: There was A lot. I feel like everything at S-Factor that was a goal in my experience was always very amorphous. You know, things would be described as like, it's fluid, it's feminine, it's not rigid and masculine, which basically means they can keep changing the definition and moving the goalpost. Um, But I found that in the film, especially, um, they focused on the one person who basically presents as non-binary, who was in class with their fiance. And how Sheila was forcing that person to present more and more feminine as if that was authentic to her. And it just made me flash back on all the instances I can recall over the year, including a couple with myself personally, of the message coming from Sheila being, I know your body better than you do. I know that you actually want to dress up like a Catholic schoolgirl right now. And so I did it because I was in teacher training and I thought Sheila knew everything. And I was so squicked out by what was on my body that I basically tried to crawl under the couch and just hide. (laughs) Um, But I saw that constantly, almost weaponized against people. I know your body better than you do. So therefore, I can keep pushing you toward what I want, which I know is good for you. Even if it's yeah. not what you want right now. If you're not brave enough to, or are you brave enough to go there with me? Asked, you know, when someone's on stage in front of 200 people, as if that's legitimate consent.
0: It's interesting that you chose that phrase. Are you brave enough? Because I've noticed that in a lot of her conversations, it's always like, "Oh, you're so brave for showing up here." And I've seen that, not not outside of the movie and in the movie because. Um, Full disclosure, uh, I have interviewed Sheila Kelly a few years ago, and I have an interview on camera, and I asked her about some, I asked her some difficult questions, one being, um, do you not allow men in the classroom? And the answer was, anyone is welcome. So it's very interesting that that your, you know, your sibling is not allowed and like probably other men or other genders exploring, exploring this type of movement are not allowed. So I find that interesting. But I also in our, our conversation that I have recorded with her is the bravery of those folks who come. They're so brave to walk in this door. They're so brave. And then I saw, I see that on the movie and I'm just wondering, like, what is there to be brave about? What is it that they're going up against that they need to be brave about? This should be an experience of enjoyment. Um, And I feel like that type of rhetoric puts on like this, like, almost like bleeds into horror phobia. Like, you're so brave for trying this thing that has the stigma that's attached to it, but this is how it can be better. And let me show you, you know, like that's sort of the rhetoric that that's how it lands
3: for no, me. No, they're absolutely reinforcing it at the same time that they claim that they're tearing it down. Like they're just absolutely reinforcing it. Um, and just to piggyback on what Misha and you just said, AM, um, when I was toward the end, I think this was 2019. Um, there was a day that, uh, three guys called up and wanted to take class. And by that point, they were at least aware enough to say that like, you know, it is illegal to say, no, you can't come take class here (laughs) because you are men. And the company literally was freaking out. What do we do? What do we do? It was like chickens with heads cut off. What do we do? And by that point, I had for a couple of years been taking class at another studio um, here in LA where I live um, that just happened to be co-ed classes and the teachers were a mix of men and women as well. And so I was like, fuck, I'll teach them. Um, And out of that, I was like, we should offer a class to people who are non-binary, to people who, guys who want to come take class, people, their significant others, their bestie, whatever they want to do. And so I tried to create this class for all genders. And not only did the studio never once promote it. And at the time, like I was just, I just joined Instagram. I was like, I can, I can yell at the same 300 people every week, guys, but like, help me out here. Um, so the class basically, you know, for, for lack of enrollment was allowed to die, but the culture of the studio was such that when women found out, and this happened also in New York, I found out, I talked to their studio director there. When women found out that there was a, any kind of co-ed class or all gender class, people started screaming about their safe space, being invaded. All of a sudden guys are going to be showing up in my home class. Someone being here at the end of the day on Sunday means that I'm not safe here on Wednesday morning. And I was like, bitch, the mail comes every day. The arrowhead guy comes once a week. What do you, but it was such, there was, it was just absolute, the, 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 the culture had been set up in such a way that it was impossible for anybody who was not a cisgendered woman preferably white and for sure as fuck with their price point, wealthy was just not going to be, not going to be comfort, comfortable, there.
0: Interesting. No. Wow. Um, so just to, to close out on, you know, uh, some culture things before we move on um, and I don't, you know, just to make sure that we did clarify and touch on this, Misha, you had sent in, a note um, about how Sheila Kelly and the S-factor culture and the happenings directly oppose feminine practices and how those happenings directly oppose tenants of trauma-informed facilitation. Can you touch more on those two topics is that really heavy <laughs> um uh, i can so
1: i can definitely i feel like a lot of already what's been said is very much like right. of course this is directly opposing the feminism that she so claims to be some sort of like you know carrying some torch for um specifically with trauma-informed facilitation i recently c- completed a certification that is about like holding trauma-informed spaces when somatic like and body movement is involved. Um, And I could go on about this, but I do just want to, like, really, I'm going to keep it to, like, these six, like, principles. And I'm just going to list them. And I feel like as I list them, it'll become really apparent the ways in which um, this is absolutely um, not a trauma-informed place and a place that, in fact, is capitalizing on trauma. So um, this actually comes from the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration. Like, this is, these are their, like, you know, I think that's, like, a governmental like body so not perfect but it is these are kind of like the six um principles they list of having like a trauma-informed approach and the first one is safety um both physical mental emotional the second one is trustworthiness and transparency uh, which i feel like speaks directly to the fact like you know to the point of like wow i was trying to stay there and see if i could move the needle on some things that turns out um you know, people had been trying for literally a decade before me. <laughs> um so d- with the the third one is peer support, um which I think especially as at least as an employee, I feel like they there was a lot of like invested in keeping us uh, like separated and or unorganized and not being able to necessarily speak to each other about our own experiences. The fourth is collaboration and mutuality, which I think you know this you know the fact that sheila is like i know what you need flies in the face of collaboration and mutuality it also flies in the face of this next one which is um voice choice and agency (laughs) um and the last one is cultural humility which i feel like is just a huge you know this this whole everything here has spoke you know every single one of these has been violated and i feel like if i had like having even just comparing to these six things um There is no way, even between last year and now, that they were able to implement any of these things um, to abide by any of these key principles. And to speak to your point about like it being so brave, I think that also is very contradictory because if you're coming there to feel safe and to explore your body to explore whatever, you know, to explore movement, explore femininity. If you, if, if you are not delving in to people's traumas, then what is there to be brave about? Like ex- exactly what you were saying. Like it's, if it's, if it's not therapy, then what are, you know, like if you are not, you know, if, if, you know, supposedly we're not, you know, digging into people's trauma, which obviously they have been, um, then what is there to be brave about? So I, I really, I think that is a really poignant point um yeah like right. i'll i'll leave it at that because i feel like that was like yeah, tons and, there. That,
0: <laughs> and that's all they did in the movie and so and for our listeners out there like I, I mean i encourage you to watch the movie slash i don't want you to watch the movie so you don't get traumatized but if you want to understand the context in which we're speaking you know watching even probably 20 minutes of it Um, Or or read a synopsis or read the posts by Jess and Alyssa and Misha to get an understanding of, like, that's all that movie was, was it was triggering people's trauma. And I think that the point made about Alyssa, too, is, like, Alyssa wasn't going down. I mean, and correct me if I'm wrong, I don't want to speak for you, but you – it didn't come across or, and I've, I know, I've known you for a bit, a little bit now, and I've not seen you be one to exploit your trauma publicly. um, And it seems like that was another reason why your voice was like, not even included because that wasn't a, a path for you.
2: Yeah, I really didn't. I was so confused why we would start every class with this circle that would always lead to tears. And it felt like since I wasn't crying, I wasn't like I don't know, it wasn't paid no mind. <laughs> you know, some whoever was crying the most would be the, the where the attention went. And I think, well, obviously, that that person needed help to navigate the experience that they found themselves in. But I didn't understand why that was the focus that started every class. And uh, until I understood the, that trauma was really um, a major selling point <laughs> uh, for the company. But at the time, I just couldn't understand why we were doing that. And it was really uncomfortable. And um, yeah, I wasn't there for that. And I think having had experience in, I I just had one experience on reality TV about 10 years ago on Project Runway. And I, I was like, okay, I'm in front of, I'm in a place again, where I'm in front of cameras, and I'm going to just keep an arm's length here, because until I understand what's going on here, until I really understand the intention, um, and if I feel safe, I'm not gonna share details of my trauma, because one, I don't understand what it has to do with this class, and two, I don't trust, I'm not trusting these people. So in retrospect, when I saw the film and the way that the trauma was created into like this collage, which was appalling about, you know, woman who had spent six months in this class and the only part of them, their experience that was featured in the documentary was one line about their most traumatic experience of their life. And I was like, thank God. I didn't share anything true, like truly, you know, anything. I didn't share anything that could have been used against me in that way to be on Netflix with the only line spoken being my worst trauma, I was like, wow, I'm really glad I had the, at least the foresight to, um, not. To just be at arm's length.
3: Alyssa, I have, um, uh, something I would love to read to you. That was an email exchange that I was, um, blind copied on, uh, regarding the treatment of trauma in the class. And since I wasn't in the room and you were, um, if it's okay, I would just love to, Get your um your take on whether or not this sounds accurate. So um, a, a good friend of mine who was supposed to teach the um one of the beginning class starting as you know, a beginning class for the Netflix project. Um as the parameters kept getting changed in the ramp up to the class starting, she actually bowed out very shortly before. And One of the things that she emailed was, um, after reflection, I find myself suspecting that on filming days within these big groups and multiple classes per day, it will be tempting to create quote, big moments in a retreat style kind of way, i.e. shatterings may come up more regularly than they otherwise might. Um, So, I would love to know, Alyssa, if that sounds like what happened to you, and then also the response that she got back from Sheila, I'm quoting directly, leaving out the name of the person who sent me this. I am a certified TRE practitioner as well as an S-factor teacher. This is some of the work I do. Please take a moment and read up on this trauma release technique. It is quite powerful. Releasing through S-movement is also powerful. I hear your fear and respect that this deeper work is not comfortable for you. If you'd like to speak further, let's schedule a call.
0: Before Alyssa jumps in, could you just for context explain to the audience what shattering means? Sure.
3: So shattering is an S-factor term that basically means somebody having, and they would describe it as an emotional release. I would describe it as an emotional breakdown where some kind of emotion in the body is activated and, and theoretically released from the body. Um, it is something I was never comfortable with as a teacher. It's something I did not encourage in my class, um, but it is definitely something that, especially at the, the one retreat and the one smaller event that I taught at that I saw was just being be, basically being put up on stage for the effect of the spectacle of it. It reminded me of being an acting class with irresponsible teachers who would make you cry so the people in the back row would think that she was a genius. And meanwhile, you're left on the floor like roadkill.
2: Gotcha. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely, it did seem that um, we were being poked like right where it hurt, <laughs> you know? And if somebody could, it could show with, something they said or with their body um, a space of vulnerability it would be like well what's that about you know tell me more about that describe (laughs) to me what happened to you you know and it's like um I understand that certain that in the body lives trauma right so in movement trauma might be agitated but that wasn't natural agitation you know that was like specific um pulling at the (laughs) pulling at the thing, that part that was, was the most vulnerable. And so I think every class started with someone crying and, you know, going there to a place where they didn't necessarily feel safe. And then it was like the techniques were supposed to bring you back into a place of um, something supposed to help put you together again or something like that. But I just, you know, not only were like we not, enough-
3: yeah. Not only were we not trained as teachers, and maybe some of the people that worked more closely with Sheila will claim that they were. Um, I don't know how because um, Sheila doesn't have the accreditation that she claims to have, that TRE accreditation. She does not. When I, the, the day I was sent that email, I went to Google and looked up what TRE is. It's a tremor therapy that is mostly used for people with severe PTSD, for example, people in the military returning from combat. Um, so not only do I not have any idea how that relates to best factor, because it was never brought up, but number two, they list everyone who's, um, certified teacher on their website. And at the time, and the last time I checked, which was about a month ago when I was researching for some of this stuff, um, Sheila was not listed anywhere in North America, not in New York, not in California on that. So that is, um, that is not true. She may have started that training. She did not complete that training.
0: That's very Disturbing and, and completely to, disturbing. Yeah, and and to sort of follow up with what Alyssa was saying, it's like, what is the desired outcome of having people expose their deepest traumas to a group of other folks? Like, what is the intended outcome that's been created by this culture? Like, is there a solution to folks releasing their trauma in this way or is it just simply to like almost get them hooked to come back for more like what what is the intention if
3: you read the hollywood reporter article it opens with um my friend nadia who recounts what happened to her in hawaii at a retreat where she was pushed beyond a point where she felt comfortable and sheila claims that she got consent um I would just posit that if someone is up on stage in front of 200 people and they are asked, are you brave enough to keep going with me? That is not affirmative consent. That is peer pressure, in my opinion. Um, But after that retreat, she states in the article, Nadia got home and her husband was so scared for her and honestly for his own safety that, that he had her involuntarily committed for three days. And it's not the only time that that happened. After I attended the only retreat that I attended, which was San Diego in February of 2016, uh, based on what I witnessed there, not only did I decide never to staff a retreat again, um, in hindsight, I should have fucking quit, but I at least drew that boundary. Um, I went to the home of a fellow teacher, a friend who had taught at many retreats and said to her, based on what I saw this weekend, I can't believe there haven't been psychotic breaks. Like, you guys are pushing people so far. And her response was, There's only been five.
0: But there should be none. There should be none. <laughs> if it happens once. Only, only five. It should, if it happens once, it should
3: be, Holy fuck, what happened? Let's make sure that never happens again. Not, let's trap a couple people behind NDAs so they can never talk about it. And also cover it up. Quick, when quick I found quick. out what happened to Nadia, that was the day that I started drafting my resignation. That took years after it happened.
0: Yeah. There's something that you said I just want to create some clarification and context around it. You said that they're up on a stage in front of 200 people. Was that typical for these retreats that that many people would go? It depends. Um the the big
3: retreats um <laughs> the less expensive retreats, which are the ones that cost ballpark $5,000, which does not include hotel and any necessary airfare. Um, it's just the cost of the content That's less expensive. That's the less expensive one. Got oh, it. honey, hang on. Buckle your seatbelt. Um, so for those, I would say that the, the one that I went to, there was probably in the ballpark of just under 200 people. Keep in mind, that was a lot of people from the Los Angeles and the orange County studios, which means that airfare was not required because you could drive. It was San Diego. So that was probably a larger attended one. um, in terms of her super exclusive retreats, um, she has these things that she liked to call uh, tradici, which is a mispronunciation of the Italian word for 13. It's tradici. God damn it. She's putting the emphasis on the wrong syllable. Um, those cost upwards from ten dollars to $12,000 to be in an exclusive group of 16, because why not sell three more tickets? Um, and then there are the people that paid for this, That the, 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 the the the, the, the the retreats or the organ events that were too secret for me to know about. Uh, something called Fibonacci, which I don't know why everything is an Italian word. She's fucking Irish from Pennsylvania. Um, but those cost, I heard, both 50000 and and $100,000 quoted for a year-long program.
0: I nice work if it. you can get it. I mean... And in terms of what the point was of putting
3: someone up on the stage in front of all those people, it was to emotionally have them, to to, to push them to a point where they would have an emotional shattering, aka breakdown, and then provide no follow-up support. Even though there was sometimes some in the room, because outside of S-Factor, there were one or two teachers who sometimes went on retreats who independently were licensed therapists. Um.
0: Misha, is this something you also saw in the classroom?
3: So interestingly
1: enough, I've actually never been to the retreat. I've only literally heard these horror stories. Um, And I, like Jess mentioned, I was also kind of around both for teacher training, um, a little maybe a little bit after teacher training, shadowing, which was, I think, another whole topic. But um, I was in and around the studio when they were filming a lot. Um, And I also kind of had like people who are close to me who were in the – uh in the documentary and at the time you know i went through teacher training thinking like okay cool like i went through all three tiers these are the things i'm going to learn and then my you know the people who i knew started telling me about practices they were having in these netflix sessions um first they said it was like you know i don't know like 20 or 30 people which at the time um our biggest studio was capped this is for all teachers our biggest studio was capped at 12 to 14 people um per class and so already like being like oh like okay they're i guess tripling that amount specifically for the documentary but whatever um and then they start talking about these specific things that jess is talking about where like they're pushing into people's trauma i think one of one one person told me that like there was like physical handling like of her face um in this, in one of the documentary series um, classes. And another one told me that they, with very little notice or either very unclear notice, uh, I don't know it, that uh, they like surprised the participant by having participants, by having men in the room, Yeah, I which also that. was a practice that I had never experienced or even heard of in the time that I was there. Um, and so like, this is kind of, when it started snowballing for me where they're like, Oh my gosh, like they are whatever, whatever they do at retreats, I guess that's what they're bringing into this, but also like this, you know, when I was telling my friends to be like, Oh, Hey, they're having this opportunity, like for people to sign up to be in this class that might be on Netflix. Like this is completely different from the experience that I had had in class and completely different than the experience that I had described to the people that I had encouraged to sign up, you know?
0: Yeah. And Alyssa, you had, you, I mean, you were in the documentary, you were in those classes and I remember that scene in the movie where they're like, surprise, here are some men to help you with your trauma from men that you've experienced in the past. Like, were you
2: present for that particular part? Thankfully I was not. Um, There was a point where I just stopped coming to class and I was, you know, I was just like, I don't, I don't want to be here. Um, Which was interesting because I was having this psychological thought process of like, um, you know, initially when we did join, Sheila said, you're going to want (laughs) to quit, but stick with it. Right. Which I'll now know as cult speak, (laughs) but a red flag moment. Right. But uh, yeah, I stopped coming in. I was really glad because it didn't make any sense. So why, or how is this? It's (laughs) doesn't make any sense, especially thinking like if we're trying, if they're trying so hard to separate it from stripping, then what is this interaction with men supposed to be about? And then they frame it as healing instead of like, I don't know, something else. And then the healing, it doesn't make it. I don't get it.
3: (laughs) I actually talked to a couple people um, who were in the class who were present um, when, when, when that happened. Um, The only background I have on it is that is something that I saw one time Sheila do In a class I was present for as a student where Sheila was teaching the teachers for our supposed continuing development. And she brought these four guys in. And I don't remember at this time if um, they were the same people as in the film or if there was any overlap there. Um, I remember being completely freaked out by it. Um, Apparently, the people who were in Sheila's inner circle, um, people she was supposedly training for her master teacher designation. And I say supposedly because the goalpost on that moved so many times that honestly, I, I couldn't tell you what the program was about or what it entailed other than uh, doing a lot of shit for free for two years. Um, but they they did that one day at a, at a teacher class that I went to and the people in this training program, um, she called them her apprentices. I was like, who are you fucking Merlin? But anyway, um, the people who had been in that Group seemed less shocked by it than I was. I just completely froze. And then when I saw it in the film, I was like, I can't believe she is doing that to to students. I mean, at a certain level, doing something with teachers was slightly less squeaky somehow in my mind, probably not. Um, But I was told by people who were in the room, I don't know how they edited that scene to make it look so cathartic and uplifting, but that the people in the room were freaked the fuck out. And a lot of them were actually not okay with it, even though it was edited. Um, Again, we'll get into why I call this movie an an infomercial, not a documentary, Um, but edited in such a way that it looked like it was a grand success. And that is not how it was interpreted in the space by a lot of people at the time.
0: Yeah, definitely. I want to get into how the media played into the misrepresentation of what was actually happening and, and following up with. And when I say the media, I'm speaking specifically right now about Netflix and The Hollywood Reporter, because The Hollywood Reporter didn't um, do justice what this story needed to be spoken about either. And, you know, Alyssa, we're definitely going to be coming to you about that part um but because we're talking about Netflix I kind of want to stay on this thread of of you know certain things and stories and probably even Alyssa yourself you can speak on this were edited out or kind of like because I saw you in the movie, but you were always in the background, you gorgeous thing. I'm like, please, can I see more Alyssa? But like, you know, Netflix and the director, I believe, had a major influence on how this was all portrayed with very little concern for how people were getting harmed in the process. And Alyssa, can you share with us like what that, like do you have any insight or experiences on like, how things were kind of moved around based on what the director needed and what Netflix wanted?
2: I can say that it felt pretty clear from initially who they were focusing on and the rest of us kind of felt like just, you know, like props, I guess (laughs) we weren't getting as much attention. um, And in a way, it also felt like like favoritism um, and certain people were just kind of like just i mean I myself, I felt kind of like just dismissed like I was just there for class, and some people were like getting a a one on one like real coaching experience. It felt like and some people weren't um, yeah, so I think that. Um yeah I think that there was just like people that were getting a lot more airtime and a lot more focus and um and the rest of us were not and it was never like a clear moment where it's not like I ever um we never spoke directly actually we were never even really introduced to the director or the crew um it was kind of just like they were supposed to be flies on the wall but we never interacted with them in a way um to get to for them to understand you know who we were or anything like that um yeah i think that probably answers yeah yeah
3: that was my experience as well with the director um they shot in the studio there over a period of about six months and i think it may have gotten extended a little bit after that on occasions um but i was present teaching and using the same lobby with my students being there as with the people that were for the Netflix class. And um, after they were there once a week for about four months, uh, the director got around to introducing herself to me. Um, That was my experience with her. is basically, uh, you're not here for me, therefore you are a non-entity, which was super fun um, to be around. Um, and as far as, oh my God, I'm just totally blanking. Oh, yeah, as far as having an agenda, what they were doing, um, I know that when the experience was done, um, several of the women who were teachers for the Netflix class, along with Sheila, um, who have all since resigned except for, I think two, um, is off the top of my head. Um, several of them asked to be removed. From the film because they were no longer associated with the company and were deeply unhappy with how the class went down and how it portrayed things versus what typically happened, at least within classes. Um, Some of them were, their request was honored and they were removed. Some of them, the specific instances that they asked to be removed were taken out, but anything else that they forgot to mention specifically was left in. And there was one teacher who um, asked to be taken out. And I'm not going to out her by saying who she is. It's not my story. But they basically said, no, Netflix wants more of fill in the blank in the story, um, which basically made her sound like an object. Um, And she was furious about that. She asked the director, I think, multiple times to be taken out and was told no. Um, As far as the agenda behind the movie People who were directly harmed by the racism and the trauma practices at S-Factor prior to the filming starting told Michelle, told the director what had happened to them, what their experiences were. And near as I can recall, her response was, I'm not looking for controversy. I hope this doesn't affect my film. To which I reply as someone who's been an actress for my entire adult life, like, bitch, that is your film. If you are going to pretend like that shit didn't happen, if you are going to put a coda on the end of your movie saying everyone is still teaching and everyone is happy, when in reality fourteen teachers quit en mass because Sheila wouldn't take responsibility for the racism shit that went down around Facebook and George Floyd, um, then that's an, then that's 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 an
0: infomercial. Mm-hmm. Misha, what's been your experience? So, and
1: I think this ties in a lot. Um, This is like a through line through a lot of what's being said. Um, Another thing that I remember since the beginning, another thing that I remember in a lot of intros um, is, and looking back on it, I don't know the person who gave this feedback. And I begin to question whether or not an actual person said this, but uh, they constantly would reference how people would be like, oh, I quit my gym and my therapist because now I just go to S factor. Um, that is also something that was used in a lot of intros. I know for sure that it was used when a lot of front desk ambassadors would talk to people who were interested in classes. Um, and so this whole idea that we stay away from therapy, I think somewhere in the article, she was like, we stay far away from that. Like I've heard that been used like up to my recent
3: experiences. (laughs) She said it on Nick files podcast. She, she shit talked therapy on that and that was after the Hollywood Reporter article came out she also in a recent blog post in one paragraph managed to shit talk therapy religion uh significant uh, romantic relationships and friends as being a place that you should turn when you're feeling down the implication being her movement modality is of course superior to all of all those things and i'm like that's what cults do
1: oh yeah and so it's it's interesting i think that they're trying to you know especially in the article it's just is so far removed From what's being demonstrated,
3: like when the the article, when she was interviewed, she had a publicist sitting next to her when she's on her own. She can't stop telling on herself.
1: Oh, yeah. No, that's it's interesting. So I've never had a class with Sheila. Um, uh, Mm -hmm. I I don't think I I don't think I've had like maybe one or two in passing conversations with Sheila um, and like. I haven't experienced anywhere near a psychotic break, but there have definitely been times where I was in a class, I was with a teacher who, you know, I'm still close friends with, someone with whom I felt safe. We were exploring material that had nothing to do with anything about like ways in which I have been traumatized outside of S-factor. even so, And even in this movement, I, there's a very distinct time I remember like, uh, ha- like reliving like being re-traumatized in class without all those things you know so this is going back to like sheila doesn't need to be in the room it doesn't need to be some teacher who is sheila's acolyte it doesn't even necessarily need to be like you know let like you could this this could be taught by someone you know and trust and because of the culture like and i and i say this as someone with like a bachelor's in psychology you know as much as you can do with that I had like a re-traumatizing experience in class once. I like couldn't go outside for like three straight days. Um, I couldn't be physically touched by my partner who I lived with at the time, you know, and I say this because if this isn't something, you know, like, yes, she was responsible, but it's, it's, it's more than just her. It's the culture, you know? And so, I mean, I, I walked away from that class, Thinking like, oh, okay, like I just need to like dance some more, or I just need to like, you know, like there was no teaching in both teacher training. This was because this was after I'd been trained as a teacher. There was no training in which to recognize when should you call in somebody who does actually does like therapy for a living. At what point, you know, what resources do we have on hand to recommend somebody who is very clearly in a lot of like emotional mental distress? Um that that's not part of the culture or the protocol. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, all of that is to say that, like, I've never been in a room with Sheila. I've never taken a class with her. I, you know, was, you know, all of the best, like, even in the best of circumstances, being in a, you know, in a class with a teacher you trust, exploring stuff that you are like into, it can still happen and because of the lack of holding around the fact that like trauma can still come up even if you are moving like there's no distinction between like here's you know here's when you give somebody resources which really should be every time because it's a pole dance studio yeah. you know and I, I i big air quotes around pole dance studio but like if your thing is pole dancing if someone is experiencing mental or emotional distress you should have resources on hand to handle that um and i as a teacher i don't think was given those resources and i do think that like a lot it didn't of exist. yeah it didn't yeah
3: exist.
1: yeah so just, just <laughs> with your knowledge and your your depth of time at the place didn't exist um and it wasn't the goal shouldn't be like oh just help the student dance it out oh just help the student like collectively breathe with the class like it was very much like uh, just hand, like you know, handle it however comes up. It was it was a non item to even address things like that.
0: Yeah, it seems it's it just uh, it's it's so interesting how this entire story has played out in that way, where it's just like these important things are left out, and that's just a part of the culture. And then we see this culture get replayed out in mainstream media that's supposed to bring to light what the people behind the scenes are dealing with. I mean, y'all had a, a a mass walkout during the film of staff. Um, and there was tons of speaking out after the film cut to the Hollywood reporter, you know, swoops up this story and thinks that they're going to like tell the story. And then they leave out strippers. They leave out sex workers They just leave out of the narrative when the whole origin story of Sheila is I played a stripper on a movie. And so, you know, I kind of want to lead into that, if that's okay, if, if we don't have any more closing thoughts on what we just spoke on. I'd like to give you an opportunity to do that before we turn into The Hollywood Reporter.
3: Can I jump in just to two things Nisha shared, made me think of one was uh, in a class, not with Sheila. This was again, a teacher class. Um, They Mm -hmm. would do this for us sometimes. It's like, you know, Hey, thanks. Here's a bonus for working here. Like, you know, you can come take class. And usually it would be a teacher volunteering to teach Mm -hmm. every now and then um, this person, this woman named Sarah Goodman, who was apparently the first teacher Sheila trained when she opened the studio and the studio needed more than one teacher. Um she used to only by the time I was there she did not teach regular classes but she would teach teachers and um not going to say who this was cuz it's not my story but um I believe I was in the class that this happened in and it didn't hit me the way it hit this other woman but in the warm up one of the songs in Sarah's playlist was a song by Nirvana with an extremely provocative title um the song is rape me and this other woman in the class based on her past experiences, had an extreme trauma reaction. And I think, I, b- I believe she just left. She definitely froze. It was de- like, she, things were not okay. And reached out to the head of the teacher department at the time. And that person looped Sarah in and Sarah's response was, I guess you're not ready for my class. So to say that it was only Sheila is a flaming load of bullshit. Um, I also have just speaking about um, how ill-prepared we were to deal with things like shattering. I have a slide somewhere. Oh, there it is. There it is. There it is. So this is a slide that was put up. I believe this was at the beginning of the um, SK Live event in 2017, which was the only other one of these events that I that I staffed. Um, How to help someone awaken or shatter safely. Number one, put a hand on their body. If you know anything about people experiencing trauma, you're pretty much not supposed to touch them. Um, Number two, encourage them to breathe deeply throughout the body and into your hand. Number three, notice when they release tension from underneath your hand. And then number four, give them cues to bring them into their body in the present. Feel my hand, listen to the music, bring them into laughter release. Stand them up and encourage them to put emotion into movement. Quick dancing on the beat, skipping around the room to the twist, the mashed potato. This will bring them through and around. That's what we were given to work with.
0: That's disturbing. Wow.
1: Yeah, I think I think this will, uh, yeah, transitioning over to the Hollywood Reporter, but I think this will tie this up succinctly and things that I've learned about trauma-informed spaces since deciding to, like, really dive into building a foundation of trauma-informed, like, experience since then. Um, also, again, from the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, um, a program, organization, or system that is trauma-informed One, realizes the widespread impact of trauma and understands the potential paths um, for recovery. Two, recognizes the signs and symptoms of trauma in clients, families, staff, and others involved within the system. Three, responds by fully integrating knowledge about trauma into policies, procedures, and practices. Four, seeks to actively resist re-traumatization. And so these are all like, things that it's like, oh, a program can be considered trauma-informed if they are doing these things. And obviously there's a scale leading, you know, like a spectrum leading up to how someone can be trauma-informed. But especially if they knew they were diving into these shatterings enough to have a slide about it in the way that they taught teachers at a retreat, there's no way they can plausibly deny that they aren't like trying to do some sort of self-improvement, that they're anything beyond a pole dance studio, which is what I feel like they were trying to say in the article. Um, But yeah, those like.
0: No, they left out so much. They left out so much and the importance of the harm that's being done to so many people. And, and, you know, they did what journalists do. Get both sides. Get everyone's voice. I get that. But they also left out this very loud narrative that has been contributing to this trauma again and again.
1: Oh, yeah. 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 So they by not are any, but not by any standards, are they in any way prepared to deal with trauma, which they are very obviously in practice, Mm -hmm. cultivating, mining, exploiting, like performing and parading around for profit.
0: Right. And performing and parading around like strippers. Exactly. (laughs) And then leaving them out of the narrative. So Alyssa, I would love to hear your thoughts on that and your experience with The Hollywood Reporter.
2: Um, Yeah, so coming into the conversation, I'll say that I was nervous to speak about it because I wasn't out as a stripper at the time. And only really with people I was close with. So I never brought it up in class with the cameras around. And, um, but, you know, I had been aware enough about myself and witnessing people like you, Anne-Marie, who have been outspoken and, um, you know, just outspoken and honest about your experiences with stripping. And I aspired to be that, right? So when the film came out, um or, or when I first saw the trailer, I really was like, I need to speak to this and speak to this experience because I realized it wasn't just in my head <laughs> there there was bigger things going on here that felt wrong, and I wanted to make sure people knew that I wasn't in support of what I had experienced um I didn't want to be associated with the negative impacts of the film um but I quickly realized that it wasn't just you know it was it's part of um other realms of media were were just as hesitant to include my voice as the film was you know and um not having been someone who's been experienced in speaking about stripping in other formats i was you know not surprised but i was like i I was expecting when I spoke with The Hollywood Reporter after they spent 30 to 45 minutes speaking with me about my experiences and I gave them tons of resources and other, you know, I, I was, I, I pointed them towards you, I pointed them towards um, AMD, I pointed them towards no- Novocaine, I pointed them towards very outspoken strippers who write and speak about um, inequality around sex work and sexuality at large all the time and, I had been holding a conversation series with um, about decolonizing um, sexual empowerment and demystifying stripping because I, because for me, I was like, okay, this is the direction the conversation has to go in order to go somewhere versus just pointing fingers at what's wrong here. Cause we all know something's wrong right now, but they included none of it. They included not a single word from me. And I got an email saying, Oh, I, in the end um, there wasn't enough word space in the, in the space for your words in the article, essentially. And I was like, well, it's not about the space in the words. It's about the space in your mind that is not willing to be open to this part of the conversation. And, um, you know, I understood that I had an interesting conversation with a friend who's an editor at a large newspaper. And she told me, you know, heads up, even if the journalist has good intentions at the, in the end, if it's, a white man editor, male editor, most likely it's going to be because a lot of the big publications are owned by white men, but most likely they're not going to be open to this conversation, right? Old white men. <laughs> I don't know who actually, I, I actually don't know who the editor of the Hollywood Reporter is. So I'm not going to specifically say that, but she did prep me like there are, it, it just opened my eyes and my experience too. Like there are, people are not necessarily in the mainstream media, ready to include the voices of strippers. And it wasn't the only time it happened. I had uh, written an article that was, um, I was told was going to be published in Jezebel and then I ended up kind of getting ghosted by them and yeah. So it was just an interesting experience (laughs) to say the least and, um, to understand that, yeah, it's not the intention of the mainstream media to include strippers voices. Even if they're saying it loud and articulately.
0: (laughs) Right. Yeah. And I'm just finding it very interesting, the parallel here where it's like, this is the culture that's cultivated within the S-factor doors. And then this is the culture that gets duplicated by the mainstream media. And this is the culture in which we reside in. And that, you know, I'm speaking. This is whorephobia. This is racism, right? Every door you turn to, there's like sort of this protection of this culture, which I'm finding, which I'm sort of like having this aha moment. Like Sheila Kelly was protecting the culture in which she was born into and maintain that culture. And then the media and everyone around her perpetuated that culture and protected it as well. And in a mainstream media situation, you're not able to to share your actual authentic narrative because there's this level of this culture being protected. And so, like, what do we do? How do – and I find it – I'm I'm excited that there was a walkout during the film. Not excited that for the reasons that it happened. But, like, there was a show of solidarity there. So, like, what is sort of this, like
2: – like, what do we do, y'all? Like <sighs> – Well, I think you're doing it right now. I think, you know, I think – shout out to social media and to – entrepreneurs like yourself who created their own space to talk about and have these conversations because i think the reality is the more people who speak their truth without those filters without the middleman of the media the middleman of netflix to filter it the more of us get heard and then we can create our own spaces where shit like this doesn't happen (laughs) and like things get um uh, you know we can actually start to decolonize and we can actually start to get empowered around sexuality versus um, doing it half-assed and, and just really feeding back into the patriarchy.
3: <laughs> yeah, I'll say one thing that, you know, I, I know, Misha, I'm, we've talked about this. So I was really hoping there would actually be a lot more of the people who contributed to the Hollywood Reporter article present for this podcast. But so many people, I mean, I know at least 30 people who were sources for that either on or off the record um, did so much emotional labor. And with very few exceptions, at the most, got one single line quoted in the article. If they were lucky enough to, I know, Alyssa, they completely silenced you. But um, you know, using myself as an example, I had at least three conversations with one of the reporters, one of which lasted for two and a half hours, and um talking about the kind of stuff that would basically wreck me for the rest of the day. And my husband said that those were real fun days. Um, But And I got one line quoted in the article. um, And a friend of mine who briefly worked at the front desk, uh, who I encouraged to reach out to the reporters, talked to one of them for a half an hour, and she also got one line quoted in the article. So I feel like there's all this emotional labor being done around it from lots and lots of different perspectives. People who spoke out on the racism, people who spoke out on the trauma practices, people like yourself who spoke out on the erasure of the goddamn origin of how the company was even allowed to exist and somehow whatever the intentions were, and I can't speak to the reporter's intentions, but the idea of spreading the net as wide as they could so that Sheila and the company couldn't say this is just like one or two disgruntled employees. They quoted as many of us as they could, but they really diluted it by doing that. Um, and you know, my other thoughts about the article are: one, um, you know, even if the print edition, which probably is not nearly as widely read as the online edition, had a word count uh, limit, pretty sure the internet uh, doesn't. And the second thing is like, again, I understand you're the Hollywood reporter, but do we really need giant pictures of Kate Hudson and Eva Longoria? Or could we make those pictures a little smaller and include some other people's words, if not pictures of evidence that teachers were sending you proving that some of the stuff the company was saying was flat out lies?
0: (laughs) Right, like evidence
3: evidence like like even oh <laughs> shadowing classes oh that was voluntary and strictly observation really because i've got two different manuals one from 2011 one from 2016 that have not only all of my logs that got initialed for each time i shadowed a class at the bottom that says this must be filled out completely as a condition of employment but then i have the internal pages with lists upon lists upon lists of your your duties as a person shadowing
2: same same you know, so it can- and there was There was space for To talk about how strippers were erased from the film In the article, but just not in a stripper's words Because that was addressed In the article, but just not yeah, By any strippers
3: <laughs> I'm so sorry, Alyssa like, I didn't even know that you'd talk to them Until I had a conversation with you afterwards Because you Your voice wasn't in it And you were in the fucking room
2: Yeah I, You know
3: it's crazy (laughs) i know for for what it's worth i'm so sorry (laughs) you don't have to apologize step in
1: um i mean as far as like what do we do now it's interesting because like so much of it has been really exhausting to kind of like continuously recount and i understand like why so many people were like i just need to be done with this um and then there's also like another huge part of me that i'm like you know I'm not in a place to like make it my life's mission to like tear down S Factor. Like that's not, I, I, that's not something to like healthily make your life about. Um, but I remember on a community call, the one that Rhonda hosted, um, Sheila wasn't there, but somebody from corporate was, and they were asking like, Oh, well, what can we do so that like women of color, like don't have to keep showing up and like, you know, making these corrections to people and advocating for people in this and this and this. And I straight up told them, I'm like, you should just shut down business. You should just shut the whole thing down. Um, That eliminates the need for black women, women of color, queer women, like queer people in the in the community to have to keep showing up and doing this because you obviously don't seem very invested in actually doing anything about it. You know, and I mean, I didn't tell them that thinking like they were seriously going to take that to heart. Like, of course, they're not going to shut down, but they can't say that nobody ever asked and that nobody ever told them. Like, oh, you maybe you should just shut down. And I specifically said, I was like, you, if even if you wanted to like pivot or whatever or whatever the fuck you're doing with rebranding, that's pretty much the same shit anyway. Like that could have been a fantastic opportunity to say publicly, we fucked up and here's how we're making amends. And because we are doing it, there aren't excuses for other business out, z- businesses out there to do the same. They really could have had that opportunity to be like, wow, here's all the ways we fucked up to make an impactful and transformative like amends. And obviously they, they're not doing that and they don't seem to have anything to do that. But no, like I laid that shit out for them. I was like, publicize your apology, publicize what you're doing, make like call actively call for other businesses to do the same. Well, that you would imply do that. That they
3: actually wanted to make a change, and rather than that, they wanted to paper over it somehow and make it go away.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And even in the times where they said they were shut down, you know, quote unquote, um, and you know, processing, quote unquote, there were still licensed teachers who were teaching classes throughout that whole time. Yep. Um, there were cl- teachers who either independently or through the studio teaching classes that whole time. You know, I was, and so it, it was very. I mean, it was very obviously like,
3: performative, but like... And unless unless they've changed their terms since I was a part of the training department, where some of the people I trained were training to become licensed instructors because they didn't live in a place where there was a physical studio, not only were licensed teachers teaching S-Factor material, but you have to pay a yearly fee to be licensed. So they were paying S-Factor to teach those classes.
1: Yeah, and I think another thing I heard is that people who were licensed in that way they were like told or encouraged, and I'm hearing this from someone who is one of those people, not from corporate directly, but they said like, oh yeah, you know, if you want to start calling it what other some other name, you know, that under your practice, or like, if you want to start integrate, you know, like essentially they were like, oh, if you kind of want to like change up the name of what you're teaching and keep teaching it, then go ahead.
3: That's a major pivot. They resisted that for years. It was like, don't you dare.
1: Yeah. Don't and then all all of a sudden now that there's all this publicity around them kind of like having all of these like shitty practices for so long, all of a sudden now they're okay with people like changing the name and continuing to teach it. And so Mm -hmm. that was very much just like uh, they, they nailed, they put so many of their own nails in their own coffin. Like,
3: yeah. And yet Sheila carries on. Exactly. She was teaching this past weekend at a Tony Robbins event in Austin, Texas. And she is currently also in the I think she's about two months into a six month uh, Saturday course that she's teaching online. And in both of them, she is publicly promising people the same experience from the movie. So she's learned nothing.
1: Oh, yeah. And I think even that association with Tony Robbins, like going way, 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 way back has been like. So noted feminist
3: gross. icon Tony Robbins. Yeah,
1: exactly, <laughs> it's super <laughs> gross.
3: Super gross. Well, they're they're perfect for each other. She is his human shield against being called a misogynist, and he lets her farm rich clients. Allegedly, in my opinion.
0: Right. And, and when I asked like, what do we do? It wasn't necessarily about S factor in general. It's just like, you know, I think it's so important to, to have these conversations and to like call out slash call in like, especially mainstream media because they're just as damaging and perpetuating the culture that we're, that we experience as sex workers, as people of color and as you know, all different types of identifying um, folks and, and it's just, um, it's, I don't even know what to say about it. It's all kinds of things, but you know, I think that like, I can't, I'm so grateful that you're willing to have this conversation because I know this is a very difficult conversation and probably brings up a lot of things for, for each of you in different ways. And I'm just, um, so sorry for the experiences that you had that were harmful and it's no one should have to deal with those things.
3: I'm really hopeful that in terms of all of these conversations, that my perfect world idea is that eventually it gets the kind of attention that, um, that that is currently on like multi-level marketing companies because i feel like people that have been speaking out against those have been doing it for years and just now there was a big you know actual documentary on amazon that that got a ton of attention and so it's really people are really starting to be able to call out their bad experiences with these predatory companies and so my hope is that for strippers and sex workers, for people that were harmed by S-Factor specifically, just for anybody that has you know any relationship to this, that we just continue to take advantage of anyone who will give us a platform and, and speak out against it. And I'm like, Nisha, I'm not going to make this my life's work. But the mm-hmm. fact is that I do have the time. And when I have the bandwidth to do it, I'm going to keep speaking out until she stops hurting people. That's That's my take on it. Today, ask me next week. I might feel a little bit differently. But you know, when I have the energy for it, it and, and when I say hurting people, I mean both in terms of the people that are traumatized to this day at at events, be they in person or virtual, but also all the people that are gaslit and negged and told that they don't matter and are told, you know, structurally put on the side of the line as dirty or damaged as a way of elevating the people on the other side of the line. I mean, you're no fucking feminist if you're doing that to a group of women, in my opinion.
1: I feel really similarly where it's like, I am so down to do whatever I can to you know, collaborate with people to one, leave as big of a, like a big ass paper trail, you know, so that when other people kind of come to these same realizations, there are There are places and things that they can reference to be like, hey, this shit's still fucked. <laughs> um, and here's like, you know, records of how it's been fucked for like, you know, coming on like two decades. Uh, and the other part of that is um, creating, both creating and bringing attention to alternatives, things where it's like, oh, okay, if you're looking for this thing, here's a better way to get it. Here's a better way to do it. That isn't this really fucked up thing over here. You know, um, I know a lot of, especially after the walkout, a lot of like my own like process um, has been like, you know, what does it actually mean to hold a trauma informed space, you know? And part of being trauma informed is knowing when something is out of your wheelhouse, you know, knowing when the line is like, well, you're not a therapist. you know, um, and giving people the agency, uh, through information being like, Hey, I'm not a therapist. So I, you know, I, but here's something I can reference you to. I think even just that separation of like, I mean, as factor, there seemed like such an egoic attachment to be able to like fix it to the point where they were creating like things to be fixed in the first place. So I think like you know I know that I personally have since leaving like gotten training in how to, you know, what a trauma informed space is, um different like other movement modalities that are trauma informed, you know, just to address like that first level of like if I want to keep being in movement spaces, how do I make sure I'm not taking any of that toxic shit with me? How do I make sure that I am no longer, like, I'm no longer perpetuating stuff that happened there. Um, And then going on to hopefully create, um, create spaces with integrity from there. Uh, And to kind of like, be like, oh, if if you're, if you're drawn to this, here's how crappy it is. But here's like alternatives, even if it's not with me, here's alternatives. (laughs) Like, let's like, like, yeah, I mean, that's, it's, it's been a really messy process for my end, but. That's kind of where it's at right now.
0: Mm. Alyssa, do you have anything to add? And thank you so much to Misha and Jess so far for that. Do you want to add anything?
2: Yeah. um, I want to mirror that. I'm happy to share my voice on this topic because I'm just very passionate about empowerment and liberation, and it's just been so blatantly clear that this is what it's not. <laughs> and I know that it, I have felt it weaponized against me um, personally, uh, as the way, the same way that it's baked into the culture, experiencing um, people who have been longtime S Factor students saying fucked up things to me, like, um, you know. I remember somebody saying in front of a group of other women, oh, I've never seen um, a stripper move as sexy as I've seen women in S-factor move. You know, Knowing that I had just shared with the table that I'm a stripper and getting up and moving uh, like for everyone. <laughs> and it was just like, this is what happens. This is what you send out into the world when you teach this way. This is what gets perpetuated and um, it's very harmful and i am not <laughs> about that life and i'm very passionate about creating creating alternative spaces and and inviting the conversation to be had and also like just underlining that there is no one way to be a woman or be empowered and that is the more that we you know if anybody is claiming to express that as the guru as the like leader right it's just it's dangerous (laughs) and it's not safe and it's a big red flag. So I'm passionate about, I'm passionate about that. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Is there anything that um, was left out of this conversation that you think is important to touch on? And then I'll ask a follow-up question. I'd love to hear from each of you, like what you would say to either someone who you've worked with in the past or someone that, is taking as factor now or, or in a situation, like, what would you, what advice would you give to anyone in your realm based on the, this, these experiences that you've had? Um, and we can start with you, Misha, if that's all right. Yeah. I mean, I would say that it's okay to make
1: mistakes, but what's not okay is to keep making them once you know better. Um, and that's what I would say is someone who, you know, if you're teaching us factor, um, there's no way that you are not inadvertently putting money in the company's pocket. And they're using that money to disenfranchise people. So it's OK to make mistakes. It's OK to you know, it's OK to even have made a mistake for like 12 fucking years <laughs> and. It's not okay to just keep making it because it's a comfortable place to be. Like, I feel like that can be said a lot today. Of um, really any way in which people are just trying to dismantle white supremacy, dismantling capitalism. Um, like, it's okay to make mistakes as long as you you know you do better once you know better. And continuing to patronize them in any way, continuing to be a student, to be a teacher, to be singing their praises as I used to, like it's painful to come away. Yes. I don't want to invalidate that pain and like there's no better time than right now to start doing better.
0: Thank you. So true. Thank you for that. Jess, what about you?
3: Um, Misha, that was brilliant. And I want to just co-sign everything that you just said. Um, I think just in terms of my own personal, my leaving has also been messy. Um, and I think that, you know, the, the, I, I right now, I'm just sort of teaching technical pull tricks and choreography because I can't get my body and my brain to go near anything that reminds me of S-factor because I don't know what's toxic and what isn't. And I don't think that there is a separation. That's where I am at right now. So I'm just kind of like put that over there. Um, I know... As a teacher over those many years, I said things that were completely inappropriate and wrong and problematic. And for those things, I'm sorry. And I am trying to do better by speaking out now. But if anybody wants to reach out to me to bring up something that I said to them or in their presence, I am open to that um, as part of trying to do better. I think anybody who is getting involved now, I would just say as a student, like please just inform yourself. There are things out there um, that will give you the other side. If something happens that feels off, listen to that voice in your head. Don't let the louder voice outside your head drown it out. And to people who are still teaching it, yeah, I just say, but you know she hurts people. Everything that you think is good, dot, 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 but you know she hurts people.
2: Thank you. Alyssa. Yeah. Sheesh. That was a powerful, <laughs> but you know, she hears people, damn. Um, yeah. I, I think that as consumers, as people, yeah, that we can use our, our decision, our choices and our money to support people who are in integrity. We have the ability to support sex workers and, and to go to studios owned by sex workers and, and not be a part of that of con- perpetuating that toxicity and shaming. Um, so yeah, vote with your dollar, right? Who you learn from. I think that's important. And then the other thing I would say, yeah, to mirror what Jess said is listen to the inner voice um, and trust that it's like, yeah, trust, but it's hard when you're in a vulnerable state and you're looking for something like healing. It's hard to hear because you want to trust the authority, like the authority in the space that <laughs> remarks you know but when something feels wrong in your body listen yeah listen and um and trust that trust that voice thank
0: you thank you to all of you so much um I have so many feelings and chills going in and out of my body through this whole conversation um is there anything else? Is there anything else at all, any little thing that we missed or left out um that you feel is like necessary to be in this particular piece?
3: I would just like to say um as we're recording something that I said before we started, which is thank you to you, Am, for giving us your platform. I'm super grateful there haven't been a lot of um there, there wasn't as many opportunities post the movie and article coming out, as I think many of us hoped there would be, so I am Mm -hmm. extremely grateful to you for this opportunity.
0: My pleasure.
1: Yeah, I also just want to mirror that same gratitude. I think I also just want to really make it clear that like my own sense of well-being, even like the knowledge that I've had, the opportunity that I've had to reflect on things about this whole situation um, would not have happened if it weren't for the actions of black women and women of color mm. at that studio. Um, and I, yeah, if it's possible, I would just encourage everyone to like, there are other black women with stories that came mm. out of this and I would just encourage finding them, seeking out the content, seeking out what they had to say about it. I don't want to like name drop people. Cause I'm not sh- I, I haven't checked in with them about that, but, sure. um, but yeah yeah, like I, I am definitely not the only one. And there were black women, women of color, femmes of color who were there speaking out. They, you know, got there, tried, gave up and left before I even got to the studio. Mm-hmm. So I, if you, if, if you can, and they're open to it, I would really, really just like love to hear from them as well.
0: Right. Yes, definitely honoring that. Yeah. Cause that's, so much emotional labor. And and uh, yes, and you're right. There's so many people that come before us that do this work and honoring them and following in their footsteps is incredible. And so thank you for mentioning that. That's very important. Um, oh, I'm just so in awe of all of you. Oh, I feel so much like love and gratitude to all of you. Is it weird if we like, do, someone leads us in a breathing exercise together is that weird <laughs> that we just breathe together Alyssa do you want to do that
2: sure okay yeah I need it too okay. <laughs> um yeah if you want to just close your eyes and take a nice deep inhale and a nice full exhale Again, breathing into your body, following your breath down into your body. And letting some sound out as you exhale. (sighs) Just feeling your, feeling into your skin. As you continue to breathe, feeling into the place where the air meets your skin. Returning back into your body as you pick up any sense that you inhale. Just bringing your hands to your body and taking a moment to just feel into yourself, what's present, noticing What's been stirred up by this conversation? And feeling the ground beneath your feet or the surface that you're sitting on, how you're held by gravity in this moment. And again, taking a full inhale and a deep exhale. Sweeping your hands across your body. Taking all the time you need to blink your eyes back open.
0: <sighs> oh, thank you so much for that.
2: My pleasure. Thank you, thank you so much for this. Oh, you're so for welcome. This. Yes, a stripper podcast is <laughs> such a blessing. Seriously.
0: Thank you. Um, are you interested in people finding you on social media? Should we do a closeout of social media handles? If anyone wants to reach out to sure. you, maybe okay, go for it.
2: Yeah. Um, so I'm I'm Alyssa Aparicio and my Instagram is at sensual and my website is pussyempowered.com. Okay. Mm-hmm.
3: Um, I'm Jess Hopper and probably the easiest place to find me is on Instagram. I'm at Jess Hopper pull all one word. Um, yeah, I, I don't think I'm using much other social media these days. So
0: gotcha.
1: Yeah. Um, I am Misha. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at, at miss underscore chief underscore Misha. So Miss Chief Misha. Um, yeah, that's, that's pretty much where I am. Great.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much to all of you. Thank you to all of our listeners out there for um, investing in this time and this story. It's so important to hear all of these stories. And there are so many more out there um and i would love to hear from more of you if you've had experiences after listening to this um i'm open to messages and communication around this particular episode as well um so yeah thanks everyone we're gonna sign off so we can go do some (laughs) self-care yes all right everyone and see you next week and see all you lovely humans another time i hope bye everyone Thanks for listening, everyone. This episode has been a production with period podcast network. Find out more on Instagram at period podcast network. Be sure to follow us on Instagram too at yes, a stripper podcast. And you can find us on Twitter at yes, a stripper pod. Please like subscribe and rate. Yes, a stripper podcast here on YouTube. See you next week.